0: Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, NorthLiberty.cc and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. Good morning. Good
1: morning. Let me introduce myself. My name is Jody Healy. I am the family pastor. And uh, this uh, lovely lady to me uh, that is to my left is my wife, Megan.
2: Good morning, everybody. And
1: uh, we're excited to uh, um, be here today mm-hmm. and share with you uh, what's been on our hearts. Yep. So, so we're in the middle of a series called uh, "Encounters with Jesus." And uh, the interesting thing about encounters is um, there are some encounters that are insignificant, unimportant, and forgettable. It could be like uh, you know when you go to uh, Uh, Myers or Walmart and uh, the clerk at the uh, checkout and you just it's not that they're unimportant it's just that that connections unimportant or uh, maybe it's that person that makes your sandwich at Subway or um, our favorite place uh, 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 Jersey Mike's or uh, maybe it's the person uh, at the movie sitting next to you in a movie theater but then there are other people Other people that deeply impact and influence the direction of our life. A spouse, a mentor, a true friend. And so let me ask you, church, who's that for you? Who by meeting them changed the trajectory of your life? So, Meg, how about you? Who is that for you?
2: That, I feel like that's such a, a great question, but there's so many people. So, just what comes to mind right now is my director of a high school play, Terry, in um, high school, my college roommates, my mentor, Kirksey, in college, you. Like, there, there really are genuinely so I'm glad many I people. I made the list. <laughs> who, you know, that you just meet, and they, could, they do. They really do completely change your yeah, life. Yeah. You know? um, of course, you made the list. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: I, I was thinking about that. And, uh, you know, I think of my coaches, some of my coaches, uh, Coach Hildreth. Uh, Coach Natalie, mm-hmm. I think of oh, yeah. uh, men in the ministry that have have helped me and mentored me. Um, um, Dave Honeycutt, mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Short. Some of those, some of those names you probably heard about. Um, even Tim. Yeah, even Tim. Even Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's some uh, there's some encounters in your life that actually changed the trajectory of mm-hmm. our lives. And this morning we're going to take a look at a woman who experienced that firsthand. She met Jesus. Mm-hmm and it changed everything.
2: So the passage that we're reading out of is the passage of the woman at the well. And I know probably some of you have heard this before, but I would ask that you would just come with a a new heart and a readiness just to hear what Jody and I have studied and we feel like we need to bring to you today. So we are looking at John 4, 1 to 10. So I'll give you just a second to look it up. That's John 4, 1 to 10. So I'm going to read it for you now. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He came, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans.
1: Uh, to understand this encounter, you have to understand the culture and the racial tension between the Jews, and the Samaritans. And it all started back when the, the Assyrians, the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 B.C. You see, the Assyrians deported the more gifted and wealthier uh, Israelites, and then um, they brought in their own people into the old kingdom of, uh, of Israel. They brought in the Assyrians. And when the foreigners came in, uh, they brought with them their, their pagan worship, uh, their pagan practices, and their uh, pagan beliefs. And so they married other Israelites left in the land, and thus creating the group Samaritans. Um, and we see this, uh, the Jews being despised. The Jews, uh, not being despised, but they despised the Samaritans because of this. You see, for, for the, the Jews, the Samaritans were an idolatrous half-breeds who were ethically polluted, religiously confused, and morally corrupt. You see, the Jews despised the Samaritans so much that when traveling between uh, Judea and, uh, and Galilee, they usually avoided that, that area in between completely. You see, that land was considered unclean. Rather than walking on impure soil and becoming uh, contaminated, they chose to descend the mountains surrounding Jerusalem and then cross the Jordan River and then journey along the eastern shore of the Jordan River. And then they turned west to Galilee. So let me ask you, what route did Jesus take? Well, verse 4 says it. He says, now he had Mm -hmm. to go through Samaria. You see, Jesus chose to go through instead of going around. Mm -hmm. He intentionally went to and through Samaria to meet the spiritual needs of the people that resided there. Mm -hmm. See, the people there matter to him. In fact, I have a picture of, of kind of the route that they took. Uh, in green is kind of the route that Jesus would have probably took. And then you'll notice that the, the, there's a dotted arrow. That was, the, that was kind of the route that uh, uh, his contemporaries and his peers took. And so Jesus chose the route through Samaria when his peers went around He wasn't concerned about breaking cultural norms or breaking religious traditions. He went right where God had prompted him, motivated by love and undeterred by cultural and racial pressures pressures of his people. Mm -hmm. I want to pause for a moment and ask you all a question. What Samaria are you journeying around? What, Samaria, is God maybe prompting you to go? I feel like often we, there's, there's people we avoid. There are areas mm-hmm. avo- to, we avoid. Yep. And God calls us to press into those areas. What does that look like? Well, maybe it looks like uh, a stepping out of your comfort zone and signing up for a, a missions trip. We have an upcoming missions trip to, to 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 the Dominican Republic, signing up and and being willing to step out of your comfort zone. See, comfort and Christianity they don't they don't mix. Just I'm just that's for free. I'm gonna throw that out there. <laughs> um, maybe it means going to the south side of South Bend and uh, go, uh, partnering with Hope Ministries, uh, our, our our local ministry to the homeless in South Bend. Or maybe it means. Going next door to your neighbor's house. You know that neighbor that you might not like? I'm sure, I'm sure there might be a neighbor or two that I'm mentioning. <laughs> um, knocking on their door and then inviting them for dinner.
2: It's kind of cool here to me what Jesus does next. So we're going to jump in back at verse 7. And he says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Um, Jesus does something amazing here absolutely incredible. By Jewish tradition and law, this Samaritan woman would have been labeled continuously unclean, and yet he both approached her and initiated a conversation with her. And in that moment that we see on those pages that she lived, in that exchange, Jesus absolutely shattered significant Jewish religious and cultural traditions and practices. And what he was doing was radically and knowingly breaking those because he wanted to extend grace, hope, and himself to her. Like, yeah. I just can't get over it, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, like. I had to kind of, I had an opportunity to witness this firsthand culturally when I went to Israel, uh, especially when it came to uh, the, the male and, and female um, interaction mm-hmm. um, one evening. Uh, we decided to go to the old city. And, and, and from our, our hotel to the old city, it was, it was quite a distance. And so we needed to get on our tram um, and, and go. Well, we got on the tram, and it was kind of crowded. It was uh, people going home from work. And uh, Tim sat down. I guess he was tired. And then me, uh, Matt, and Thomas, we stood And, uh, they stopped at kind of their little stop and people got off and people got on. Well, some, uh, Jewish girls got on, uh, teenage Jewish girls got on and you'll be proud of your pastor. He was very polite and he said, uh, ladies, would you care to have a seat? He was willing to get up so that they would have a seat. Um, and, uh, they looked at him and they kind of laughed and snickered and, uh, um, And then they kind of walked away and completely ignored him and I was like uh, me and Matt were getting ready to make fun of Tim because of that response. And uh, then Thomas kind of put a pause button on Mm -hmm. us and said uh, what Tim did there was a cultural no-no because males did not interact with females that weren't their wives or weren't part of their family. Mm -hmm. And so I, those traditions still, some of those traditions still exist in the Middle East today. And so this woman, she would have been considered the ultimate outsider, being a Samaritan and being a woman.
2: The text tells us a little bit more about her and her background, and so we're going to read it just so we're all on the same page. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. John's gospel is so good to us because he likes to repeat things, and I think that's for our understanding. And he says that she was alone. Well, women t- typically came to the well together, right? And in groups, it was like their social time. How are you doing? They're hanging so out like with Facebook, each
0: other.
2: Right? <laughs> it's of, a lot maybe. better than Facebook. About um, and they also shared in the workload of the water, right? So this was her time for community just to have a breather. But she didn't have that, she was completely alone and she came during the heat of the day. The best time to carry, we're talking roughly 40 pounds of water in five gallon buckets was definitely not in the heat of the day. It would have typically been toward the evening or the early morning. And this one got me when we were studying all of our, studying for this message. Scholars believed that she passed by two different closer wells to her to get to Jacob's well. So just imagine with me for a second, the isolation, the shame, the hopelessness that she may have felt. No one would come with her to the well. She was alone in her work. She was alone in her brokenness. She was alone. She felt so alone that she even went that extra, extra mile to avoid anyone that would even know her. And all of these things point to this idea that she, she held shame and brokenness within her, something that would again, so, so deeply within her that would compel her to be completely unseen. Next, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus does something incredible again here, and I love it. My heart just loves it. He shattered the norm and some very significant barriers that were set by the society, by that society, by the religious law when he asked her for a drink. And personally, I love her honesty with him. <laughs> she didn't have to talk to him at all, right? I also love how she checks him. From my perspective, what she's like is like, what do you want? Why are you talking to me? Don't you, a Jew, know the law? Do I really need to spell it out for you? Please, just don't waste my time.
1: Yeah. And the, the cool thing is, is uh, take, a, take a look at and notice uh, Jesus' response in verse, uh, uh, verse 10. Jesus answered, he said, If you knew the gift of God and who, who it is that ask you for drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I like how Jesus quickly shifts the conversation to himself, reversing really their positions. uh, Jesus being the giver and the woman being the one in need. Uh, In essence, Jesus was saying, I'm not concerned about your race. I'm not concerned about, uh, worried about your gender or your background or baggage. See, none of that uh, that scares me. Uh, I want to introduce you to myself and share with you what I have to offer. I have something to offer you. Living water. Well, at this, the woman was confused by his language of living water. Uh, she thought he might have some insight on some special physical water that, that, that if you drink it, you are, your, your thirst is permanently quenched. It's like Gatorade 8.0. <laughs> but what Jesus was talking about was not physical, was it? It was spiritual. See, it it was not about hydrating the body. It was healing the broken, the broken heart. It wasn't wasn't about a temporary need, but addressing an internal and eternal need. Notice what Jesus says in verses uh, 13 and 14. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give Will never be thirst. Will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will be become in them a spring, spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so we see a gift. The gift that He offers is one to meet a greater need, our spiritual need, and not just this woman's need, but this is our need too, brothers and sisters. And the living water that Jesus is offering leads us, leads to to spiritual cleansing, spiritual healing, spiritual renewal. And ultimately res- being restored back to our right relationship with the holy God. And this this gift and this woman, she desperately needed it. And so she says, Yeah, sign me up. I want some <laughs> of that. I'm tired of coming back to this well. Again, there she is again, being stuck in this this mindset of it being physical water that has um, some uh, supernatural properties. Jesus, again, uh, shifts the subject from his living water to a little bit more personal subject, her lifestyle. Verse 16 says this. He told her, go to your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man that you are now with is not your husband. What you say is, is quite true. So, in that moment, Jesus does a, uh, not a Jedi mind trick, what I would say a Messiah mind trick. And he reveals that uh, he reveals something that no one would know about. Like, only he would know about that.
2: There are times when I read Jesus' words, and in my human brokenness, I am amazed at what he doesn't say. And he didn't condemn her. He didn't, oh, wait, I got a list of all the things, you know, like he didn't bring out a list of everything she'd ever done wrong, right? And the exact date that had happened. No. He built a bridge to bring himself to her. He affirmed her for the truth that she did say. He revealed to her once again that he has supernatural power. And that he knows more, right, than she can anticipate, and I, I can only imagine that that interaction was like a foreign language to her.
1: Absolutely, in verse uh, uh, 20, <laughs> it's, uh, the woman quickly shifts the conversation. You know, yes, this is kind of getting a little uncomfortable. This is getting a little personal. So let's talk about a heated religious, uh, <laughs> you know, heated religious one. You know, um, and uh, so she she starts a conversation about uh, the, the correct place of worship. You see, the Samaritans uh, and, uh, and the Jews believed that they built their temple to God on the correct place of worship. For the Jews, uh, it, was, uh, it was Jerusalem. And for Samaritans, it was uh, Mount Gerizim. And this was highly disputed and argued between the two. But the reality is both, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Samaritan, both limited their worship to God to a particular geographical location. But in verse 21 through 24, Jesus points out to a new reality of worship, a new reality that he is creating. The main issue is not where you worship, but to whom you worship. And see, the worship of God is not bound by a place it is attached to a person, and that person being God through Jesus Christ. In verse 25, we see the woman moving on from the topic again, and uh, just ultimately saying, you know, all this stuff, all this, uh, these conversations, this argument, I tell you what, that will all be taken care of when the Messiah comes, and he will clear it all up. He'll take care of it. He will show us. And then uh, I love what Jesus does here. Take a look at verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus does this rarely. But in this moment, Jesus revealed his full and true identity as the Messiah, an anointed one. The anointed one from God. But in this case, He wanted, this woman was confused, and he wanted to cut through the confusion. He wanted to meet this woman with his love and with his acceptance and with the offering of living water that would lead her to healing, to hope, and lead her to a changed and transformed life.
2: So let's see what she does. It says, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. This verse gets me every time, whoops, every time we even practice it, I cried because I absolutely love her complete hope in Jesus and how in this conversation that she had with him, she so freely left her shame and she picked up all of the hope of who Jesus was. And what's more is that Jesus so compelled her that she went back into the town and into the community that had completely ostracized her. Like, come on now. <laughs> That's incredible.
1: And the task of, guess what? The task of getting mm-hmm. water, guess what? Not even it important. became unimportant. Because <laughs> it became unimportant to the reality of who Jesus, <laughs> who, uh, the person of Jesus and what he offered and this encounter was way too big for her to keep to herself. She had to share it to be a witness of who Jesus is and what he was able to do. And that's when the women did, uh, and that's what this woman did in that moment. She, in this encounter, it changed her, not only her, but her, her community. You see, this woman shared Her short story, and it was only like from what we get is just like a a partial of a sentence. And the people are like, wait a second, let's check this out for, for ourselves. And she shared her story. And that's the same calling that we have. We're called to share our story. We're called to share our testimony. And that's what Jesus commissioned us to do. In Matthew 28, in fact, what it, this is what it says in, in uh, Acts 1, uh, 1-8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the living water, and you will be my, what, witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. And then, where, what does it say, church? It says Samaria. Samaria, mm-hmm. and to the ends of the earth. To be his witness. That's what we're called to. Share how God has showed up and meets you in your need. That's what we're called to do. Let's take a look at verse 39. Verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And so we see her testifying to what God has done, and we need to testify to what God has done and let God and His Spirit work. But what usually keeps us from doing that? Fear. We're afraid. We're afraid that uh, we might mess it up. We might, uh, we're afraid that uh, we might not have answers to those questions that uh, they might have. Um... But you know at the end of the day, we need to trust God with the process. Don't worry about what you don't know. Testify. Testify. Brothers and sisters, testify to what you do know. And I feel like it's a response. Our response should be the same as that of the blind man that was healed by Jesus on Sabbath. The Pharisees didn't like that. And they started grilling the the, the formerly blind man about Jesus. And and they're asking these questions. He's like, ah, ah. And he finally, this is what he says, and I love what he says. He says, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, but I love this part. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So, brothers and sisters, who do you need to share your Jesus story with? Who do you need to uh, have coffee with? Call them up and say, hey. Do you know what God has done in my life? You see, the Samaritan's woman, her story mattered. And she shared it. And it changed her community. But you know what? Your story matters too. And you know what? If you're willing to share what God has done in your life, guess what? It will change things around you. It will change the people around you. So your story matters. Share it.
2: And that's exactly what happened if you look in verse 42. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. One of the reasons why I love the passage of the woman at the well so much is because Jesus brought similar restoration and hope to me. I resonate with how he sought her out in her brokenness, and I completely identify with with her complex past. And my story, which I'm about to share with you, includes some heavy stuff. So that's your warning. Uh, This is my second marriage. I was in an abusive marriage, and so I'm divorced. And what I just summed up there in that one little sentence was an absolutely excruciating time in my life. From the first time that my mom found out what was really happening to the time that I lived on my my friend's couches, until a lady named Kathy, who I really didn't even know, opened up her home to me. I remember when my dad came and he moved me up into Kathy's house and just the absolute utter shambles that my life was in. But you know what? Jesus was with me in that devastation and that pain. He never walked away from me in those moments that I thought I was alone. And he completely directed me to Kathy and her family. The day that I signed uh, those divorce papers, which if anyone, I know there are people in this room that had to do that, and that is, oh, that's a surreal experience. I still remember feeling like I had the strength with me that I knew, I knew was from Jesus because I just didn't possess it. Um, What's so incredible to me when I think about this season is just the way that Jesus surrounded me with my amazing family and incredible friends. Not those friends that are like, oh, well, you can call, you know, we'll we'll see you later. But those friends that walked with me through an insane amount of grief and not the pretty grief that you see, the deep, deep grief that happens when you hurt. And what's so cool, too, when Jody was talking to me about this, and, you know, like I have a timeline and I was writing this out, I had to write it like three or four times because there are genuinely so many of my friends and my family who, like, we don't have that kind of time. You guys would be really, really cranky at me and really hungry if I told you about all of it. Um, I also so resonate with how Jesus restored the woman at the well, like in one simple interaction, and we talked about this before, she went from completely being alone and ignored and ostracized by her community to having a community again, right? And Jesus didn't just restore her hope or her community. He just like restored her entire person, which I think is kind of incredible. So I'm going to share just a little bit of my story with you about how Jesus started restoring me um, back in those days after my divorce. So Jody and I went to Bethel College, and way back in the day when we went, there was a really big group of Hawaiian students there. And I know you're thinking right now, because I did too, Hawaiian why are you, Indiana? Indiana? <laughs> but, Indiana, I don't get anyway, it. Um, but they were there. And so, um, and we were apart, we were like good friends with them, right? So thankfully, that I had multiple different Hawaiian connections. And I remember, I don't know where I was, but I remember uh, picking up my dad's phone call in the car, and he was like, hey Meg, um, have you thought about moving to Hawaii? Because I think you know, you've got good friends down there, you need a place to restart, right? You need some space, you need, a, you need a place to heal. And I was like, I mean, that's a great idea, right? But I don't have a place to live and I don't have a job. Um, and then I think the, the timeline is if you, but this is, this is like within a month, I get a good friend from, a, a call from our really good friends. Um, and she said to me, she said, Megan, I want you to move down here. Like Josh and I, we know that um, you're going through a really difficult time. And we want to walk with you in your pain and remind you (laughs) that Jesus will restore you and you are worth it. So, you know, why don't you move here? Okay, but I still don't have a house and I still don't have a job. Um, there was a friend here when I was going through the divorce. She was at Bethel because she's a Hawaiian student, and her name was Faith. And in the Hawaiian culture, they have, like, family dinners. And she had a family dinner one day, and I went over because, you know, that's what you do. And there were people there from Hawaii, and I met them. You know, no big deal. Um, and then I got a call from Faith, and she said, Hey, Megan, I have a first-grade job position for you, and I have a place to live for you if you're willing, you know, to move to Hawaii. Uh yeah. So that lady at that whole, at that dinner, you know, that I went to with my friend Faith, she was actually a principal of an elementary school in Hawaii, and she just so happened, right? And we don't, we know that's not what that is, right? That was Jesus saying, like, here is a position for you, Megan, go take it, and it was first grade. Like those are those are my people. And and there's a house too, you know? And I did this really cool discipleship training school way back in the day. And there was a lady there named Auntie Tracy. And she, so that's 2005. So we're like way, way, way later now in years. And she even lived in the part of Hawaii where all of my friends lived. So in just that short amount of time, Jesus completely lifted me up and put me in a place to restore and heal me. And I just want to tell you, you know, because you're thinking like, well, who, who does that? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus does that. Jesus takes the absolute worst moments of your life, the ones that you wish nobody knew, right? And if you allow him in, and if we allow him in, and we do the work with him, and it is, I'm telling you, healing is hard work. You can take it from my experience. But he was with me, and he restored me. And what, like, you guys, you you see the restoration of Jesus, okay? Like, you see my little girls, In this church,
1: running around with their shoes with their shoes
2: off, right? (laughs) And that is an example of the power of Jesus. Okay, that's an example of the faith and the prayers of our Bethel friends because they, like you know, it's Bethel. It's kind of a smaller school, so they knew Jody was actually my upperclassman crush when I was at Bethel, right? And when our mutual friends started to talk talking to me. About him, or even the future possibility of marrying again. Um, and for those of you know that you know, this is like in my wheelhouse. I flat out told them to stop. Do not do that. And they were like, we're, "No, Megan, we're we're gonna pray. Like the, you know, like this this is what Jesus does." And I was like, "You fine, go ahead and pray. It is not gonna happen." <laughs> yep. Because
1: so, so that's trying, what you, Jesus does. The moral does. of the story is don't tell, <laughs> uh, don't tell Jesus not to do something.
2: <laughs> well, it's true. But it's incredible. Like, you know what? Like, who does that? Like, he was my upperclassman crush, you know? And, and the truth is, is the reason why I, like, just approached him and was like, fine, whatever, I don't care. You can pray. It's not going to happen. Is because I still held, held on to this shame. You know, like, I'm divorced. And unlike the woman at the well... I had not fully exchanged that part of my shame, you know, and just the, this from my past for who Jesus was and what he said about me. And the cool part about who he is is that he continues to heal me through Jody and his humility and his compassion. And he continues to heal me. When I look back in the real view mirror and I see these two miracles sitting in a seat because I never thought it would happen. One thing that I really continue to learn from the woman at the well is how she so freely traded her shame for Jesus. Healing is a difficult thing, and I still have moments um, when memories happen. And my past doesn't feel like my past anymore. I'm still really serious about singing and counseling because healing takes work and it takes time. I've shared my story before. And people have completely chosen to not be a part of our lives because of it. And I really struggled, to be honest, when Jody asked me to share today because I am not naive to how Jesus' radical grace and love and restoration makes some people feel uncomfortable. But you know what? I want to be like her still no matter what people say, and continuing to share, continuing to bring honor and glory to Jesus because of the miracle that he did and has done in my life, and he continues to do. Amen. I'm going to say it. You don't have to say it. I'm going to say it. Amen. And I still have stories of Jesus' grace, love, and faithfulness. This past November, when my mom died, and the doctors sat my brother and I down to tell us and I watched my brother's chest heave with this weight of attempting to breathe when, he, when we were faced with this devastating news. And when the doctor walked us down the hallway to say goodbye to my mom, and I know there are lots of people in here who've walked in hall, uh, hospital hallways and you know how ridiculously long they are, I don't know why. Anyway, the doctor walked next to us. And I felt like, even though that doctor didn't know it, that it was Jesus and that terrible, life-altering moment. And we weren't alone. And I'm gonna get real honest with you today. If there's one takeaway from this amazing text of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, and from my story that you hear, please hear me clearly. Jesus is with you, you are not alone. He doesn't leave when you'd rather him not see stuff. He doesn't check out when you're not 100% at this 99 capacity like, oh, well, I got to be this for Jesus. Absolutely not. He is not impatient with us as he so displays in this, this amazing chapter with this woman. And he is so serious about restoring us. Every time I went through my story, and I'd like, windle it down, windle it down, this verse in Luke just kept coming to my heart. And it says in Luke nineteen ten, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'm telling you right now, if you're lost in despair, you're lost in confusion, you're lost in shame, man, Jesus is here for you.
1: So this morning, we want to wrap up our time by responding through prayer. We're going to have some people come up here, stand in front of the stage, and, and they'd be willing to pray for you. We have a couple topics that, uh, that you feel like you're in that space and you need prayer. We've got people for you. The first thing, maybe, if, the, if you feel like you've been uh, like the Jews of old and have intentionally, intentionally journeyed away from Samaria or journeyed around Samaria. And you feel God prompting you to go to your Samaria to be agents of lights and love. But you need strength and you need wisdom. You need courage. I encourage you to come forward and pray.
2: And if you feel like hope is a word that you've long lost and that you buried, like your history is just too long for Jesus to do anything about. We invite you to come forward and let these people pray over you about the healing and the restorative power of Jesus.
1: And if you need strength and courage and boldness, you, you want to share your story. God has stepped into your life and has, has done something big and amazing, but you're scared and you need courage, courage to share. Uh, share how God has helped you and come alongside you and uh, empowered you. And you need courage and strength. I encourage you to, if you feel prompted, to come forward.
2: And if there's anything else that you just feel like, you know what, I, I need prayer they're prepared, you just come forward. Like this is an opportunity for you just to receive encouragement um, and hope.
1: Absolutely.
0: If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.